Welcome to HopeNet Radio, connecting generations to save lives from destructive lifestyles and suicide. Suicide was definitely something that was on my mind a lot. I wanted the pain of life to just stop. My dad is kind of verbally abusive, and he's also a workaholic. When I was hanging around with a bad group, I got raped. I was angry with God for the longest time. A couple weeks ago, my cousin hung himself. I really need to get closer to God. I just slipped so far. It's HopeNet Radio. You can talk with a live spiritual coach anytime at HopeNet360.com. Now, here are the hosts of HopeNet Radio, Jeff and Dave. Hey, welcome to HopeNet Radio. So glad you've joined us tonight. It is 2014, and it's been 2014 for a while now, so hopefully you're having a happy new year, Jeff. DW in studio with you, our special guest Kyle and Dr. Tim are with us today on the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Very good. It's awesome. Not too shabby. (laughs) Good, good to hear it. You guys having a good New Year so far? Yeah, really good. (laughs) Not for the Bears fans. Yeah, I'm still I'm still licking my wounds there, Jeff. It's Don't a rough it off season for all of us. Can I, I think, ask you, Bears so. fans, a question though? Is is that something you're used to now? Well, you know, Bears <laughs> and Cubs. You know, you know yeah. what, Dave? I'd like to I'd like to ask you, what's the overall record between the Bears and the Packers? It doesn't even matter. <laughs> okay, that, oh, that's man. one thing I know. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering if you knew. I, I, let me ask you this: Who won the most championships? <laughs> In, the, in in all of NFL, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. See, you, got, you can tell by the answer to those questions where those. Go. I don't live in the past. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, it only we, matters what we right. say matters. Maybe we should have a, a, a show on pretend worlds and talk about bear fans. Uh, I'm sorry, we got you guys off track here. Yeah, happy New Year! Glad to be with you guys tonight. If you want to get connected during the show, we hope you would email us your thoughts, any questions and ideas that you have in, in our discussion. Email them to hope at hopenet360.com or get on Facebook or. Twitter at HopeNet360 and let us know your thoughts. Dave and I are chatting and connecting with you guys there. So glad to be with you guys tonight. Dave, I'd love to hear a little bit like what is what is your new year like so far? Have you made some resolutions? We've talked about it the past couple of weeks and how are things going with your new year? I love the new year because it gives us an opportunity to kind of start over. But at the same point, I look at my life and I think I think I've started over like many, many times and I still haven't got there. And I get very reflective trying to figure out what can I do to actually make 2014 a, a better year than 2013. And, and there's so many things that you look at. I mean, if I'm a young guy, I mean, maybe uh, some of the young listeners that are listening to us are struggling at home. There's, there's all kinds of chaos. They're angry with their parents. They're angry with their teachers. They, they'd rather be out on their own. They want the freedom, whatever. And m- maybe they got to sit back and say, well, how do I get to the point in life where I can enjoy actually living? and enjoy the way God made me and enjoy people the way I'm supposed to rather than struggle through another year and, and turn to, uh, you know, like drugs or alcohol or something else to try and make it. So I'm wondering, you know, I went through and I was, I was beginning to, to look at various struggles that some of the young people have that we work with here at Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute, ideas of just rebellion. I don't know, you've done some, uh, some research on rebellion, haven't you, um, Jeff? I actually did pull up an article uh, recently that talked about that, and um, yeah, I guess that would be a good, maybe a good starting point tonight to just chat about. I personally went through, I guess you'd call it a phase of rebellion, teenage rebellion, where you felt like you were smarter than your parents or smarter than the authorities in your life, and you know, trying to figure out your own way. And I think there's, you know, there's some kind of 
don't know, there's, if there's some kind of biological thing or if it's cross-cultural. But I pulled up an article from the Scientific American. But before you start that, let me ask you to help us understand what you mean by rebellion. I mean, is rebellion yeah. just thinking on your own? Is that rebellion? Is rebellion no. thinking on your own and intentionally going against somebody? Or is rebe- what is what are we talking about here? Because rebellion always causes strife on both sides. The person who mm-hmm. rebels gets it and and the person they're rebelling against gets it. But what is it? What are we talking about here? Rebellion probably at its core is just a denial of any authority. I mean, it's not necessarily okay. independent thinking. It's just putting yourself above any authority in your life or that you become the ultimate authority. And then you make decisions based on that or you you start to act out of your own intuition rather than you know, honoring or respecting any kind of an authority structure in your life. So we actually need authority, or isn't that our goal in life is to be the authority? Man, tricky question. You know, I think every person has this maybe notion that they want control or have control in their life. And so in order to do that, they have to be their own, in a way, their own God or their own supreme authority. And I think what ends up happening in our kind of our 20-somethings, is that we realize that the world doesn't revolve around me. And right. that can be a hard thing for someone who is so focused on getting what I want. And then the whole rebellion thing just doesn't work out. It ends up causing us to crash and burn, and some harder than others. Dr. Tim, you, you work with a lot of patients. Um, uh, you're a gynecologist. And uh, it just do you see the rebellion? Do you know what is rebellion to you? I mean, do you see that? Is it a problem? Well, you know there is an element of narcissism in our culture, and I suppose, you know, whenever you think about rebellion, you're right. You have to define the term. We use a lot of terms in, in our culture now that we don't really know what we're talking about. Sometimes rebellion can be good. depends what you're rebelling against. Mm-hmm. So if a student is rebelling, you'd say, okay, what are you rebelling against? Are you rebelling against something that's evil, something that's wrong? Are you rebelling against something that's right? A lot of students, you know, they don't even handle their rebellion correctly. So if, if they think something is wrong, make your case. Make an articulate argument uh, for it. But the, I, I, what I see, at least in our area of medicine, is more a rebellion against truth as far as if you want to call it health. For instance, there is a decided rebellion and always has been a rebellion against abstinence. Okay, so you think about this. If there is a drug out there that is guaranteed, if you take it, works 100% of the time, 100% of the time it will prevent this bad event from happening, heart attack, stroke, whatever it is. And if you just did this 100% of the time, these bad things would never happen to you. People would take the pill like crazy. And not only that, the medical community would, would say, hey, you know, you need to take this pill. And you'd have media all over the place take this pill because it works 100% of the time and there is no side effect, okay? No side effect, no bad outcome, take this pill, you'll live forever, (laughs) whatever it is. Okay, now apply that to abstinence. It works 100% of the time. There's no unwanted pregnancy. There's no heartbreak. There's no sexually transmitted disease. There's none of that. It works 100% of the time. And what's what's the downside? There is none. And so you have students rebelling against that kind of truth, and it makes no sense. That's a great point. You know, so you sit down with a student and say, okay, now explain to me then, explain to me then, I, I have 
the solution is one man with one woman together forever for life, and you want to do it the other way. Explain it to me how that works because it doesn't, but you can go ahead and explain it. And, and I think rather than, you know, sometimes the adults, their pushback is, no, you're nuts. Rather than engaging the student and say, okay, explain to me why what you say works. Because if it's truthful, you can support it. And, and they can't. And so as, as we look at rebellion, I mean, perhaps, you know, parents and adults are running out of patience in engaging students and they'd rather they'd rather not and and sometimes rather than engaging a student making an argument making a case instead they tell a student to just do that because i say so mm-hmm. so so tim would you, you know, say there's smart rebellion and stupid rebellion yeah yeah okay and maybe uh we'll, we'll have to talk about that more in the next section but th- that's very interesting yeah and tim it's it is you know i see that a lot too in our own culture and i think i have an idea of why there are a lot. There are young people that struggle with that whole abstinence thing, and that's one area that we rebel in. We're going to discuss this more when we come back. Send us your comments and your emails to hope at hopenet360.com. Get on Facebook. Let us know maybe your struggle with rebellion or just having a hard time respecting authority. We'll be back after this here on HopeNet Radio. Are you hurting, stressed out, need somebody to talk to? Chat with a live spiritual coach anytime at HopeNet360.com. This is HopeNet Radio. Feel free to email the show, hope at HopeNet360.com. Now, back to Jeff and Dave. Hey, welcome back to HopeNet Radio. Jeff and DW here with you tonight. And our special guest, Dr. Tim and Kyle, they're in studio with us tonight. You can join in on the show, get connected with us, email us at hope at hopenet360.com or connect on Facebook and Twitter. Tonight we're kind of opening up the discussion on rebellion. And I don't know about you, parents are probably like, oh yes, this is going to be a really great show because now I can tell my kids just how awful rebellion really is to me and how much they need to listen to it. That's not our point tonight. Uh, Our discussion, though, is talking about rebellion. And interestingly enough, Dave and Dr. Tim, I found this article online uh, from the Scientific American publication. And uh, it's kind of a little bit longer, but if you'll just bear with me, I just want to read this article on what research actually shows about teen rebellion. And uh, it says, in 1991, anthropologist Alice Schlegel of the University of Arizona and psychologist Herbert Berry III of the University of Pittsburgh reviewed research on teens in 186 pre-industrial societies. This is interesting. Among the important conclusions they drew about these societies, about 60% had no word for adolescence. Teens spent almost all their time with adults. Teens showed almost no signs of psychopathology and antisocial behavior in young males was completely absent in more than half of these cultures and extremely mild in cultures in which it did occur. Even more significant, a series of long-term studies set in motion in the 1980s by anthropologists Beatrice Whiting and John Whiting of Harvard University suggests that teen trouble begins to appear in other cultures soon after the introduction of certain Western influences, especially Western-style schooling, television programs, and movies. 
delinquency was not an issue among the Inuit people of Victoria Island, Canada, for example, until TV arrived in 1980. By 1988, the Inuit had created their first permanent police station to try to cope with the new problem. It goes on to say, consistent with these modern observations, many historians note that through most of recorded human history, the teen years were a relatively peaceful time of transition to adulthood. Teens were not trying to break away from adults. Rather, they were trying to learn to become adults. Some historians, such as Hugh Cunningham of the University of Kent in England and Mark Clewitt, I'm not even sure if I pronounced that right, of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, author of Ancient Youth, suggest that the tumultuous period we call adolescence is a very recent phenomenon, not much more than a century old. And uh, I'd like to get your perspectives on that because I don't know if you guys have had the same struggle too, but you, you get to a point when you're a teen and you're trying to figure out what your identity is and who you're going to become. And oftentimes that means breaking away from some of the parental restrictions or limitations that they put on you. And this turns into a rebellious nature. Have you guys experienced that personally in your lives? And if so, does the data make sense or is it just kind of like, well, that, that's that's one person's opinion? You know, one of the things I think we have to talk about is the natural understanding that Young people grow up and, and need to separate from home. That's not rebellion. Think, you know, I need to get older and have my own house, my own life, my own. In fact, the Bible tells us someday you get married, you know, and you, you actually leave the home you're in and you cleave to your new spouse. And, and that's what you do in life. You start a new family. So mm-hmm. we want to make sure to keep that clear that that's not what we're talking about in rebellion. I think what, what Tim talked about last segment, it was very important that you know, the idea of are we rebelling to just, you know, get our way? Are we rebelling against truth? Are we, rebe- you know, why are we going to rebel? When you were talking, Jeff, I, I was thinking, you're talking about some other cultures, and um, it, these other cultures, who knows why the children don't rebel like they do in the United States? But you mentioned schools, when Western schools get started, and that's really my background. And when I, I look at the studies, and I just happened to look at a study this week on, on what we could do to make schools better. And it was very pointed, like it has been since I started teaching back in 1978. It, it's been pointed the same way. It's not better schools or better computers or better gyms. It's not better teachers that we need. It's better parents that we need. Mm-hmm. And, and in many respects, parents are rebelling against spending the time that's necessary with their children so that they can raise them in a way where they are responsible and the most um, influential adults in their lives. Instead, they're farming them out to church and to school and to that kind of thing. So one of the mm-hmm. points I would like to make is very simple. As a teacher, when my parents used to come in and complain about their kids, you know, not getting things done and et cetera, Normally, I would ask them to sit down and say, look, how much time are you spending with them? And, and they would tell me, you know, that's none of your business. I said, no, yes, it is, because it actually affects your children's lives, uh, how much you spend with them. I, I can show them math and science and all that kind of stuff, but the stability and the emotional stability and, and all of that kind of stuff is going to come from parents who love and care. So I guess I, I would be saying on the rebellion side, I know sometimes you think we're talking to young people, but some of it may be being caused because of the way Western society actually raises children, not necessarily just because they want to rebel, but because who are the significant adults in their life? I would agree with that. And I've seen parents parenting evolve over time. Parents have a, a certain fear. They look to the pop culture to figure out how we're supposed to raise our kids. And our pop culture basically is 
first of all, it's full of a bunch of lemmings. So to the <laughs> st- students out there, you know, one of the short stories you ought to read is The Emperor's New Clothes and don't necessarily follow pop culture and as well as parents. I think parents make a couple big mistakes. Number one, parents try to be their kid's friend, and that doesn't work. It never works. Parents are an authority. They're a role model, and they expect. And, and parents have expectations uh, on them in being parents. Parents chose to be parents. It doesn't happen by accident. Okay, not in this day and age. It doesn't. So there was something deliberate, one way or another, where a parent became a parent. So as a parent, you're not their friend, and that's a big distinction. And students out there, parents aren't your friend. I mean, I'm not my kid's fr- friend. I don't like their music. I don't like the movies they watch. In fact, if my if my kid was my age when I was in high school, I wouldn't even hang around them. There's nothing about their social life that really engages me. But I am their father, and God has put me as a steward of their lives, and I'm supposed to, as best I can, emulate Jesus, emulate integrity, and, and those elements of quality living and ethic to them. And so when they rebel, so to speak, I don't mind it. You know, there's a there's a section in the Bible where the Bereans were listening to Paul, and basically there's a verse that says they were checking the Scripture to see if what Paul was saying was really true. You know, as a parent, I don't mind if my daughters challenge me, but they need to challenge me on the basis of truth, something that's workable, and then we discuss it. But in the end, godliness and wisdom is going to settle the matter, not mm-hmm. me wanting to get along with my daughter. The intent is not to get along with them and be their friend. The intent is to raise a child that's godly. And that's, you know, part of that is education. What you know, Kyle, Kyle, what do you think about that? I mean, you're younger here and you hear a, an old guy like Dr. Tim talking like that. Does that make sense? Or does that say, no, I want my parents to be my buddy? Or Definitely makes sense. Um, just thinking in my own head, I'm really glad my parents were my parents and not my friends. I mean, I see some parents and how they treat their kids and it's, they treat their kids like they're their friends. And then when they try to be parents, they can't because they, their kids are like, what are you talking about? You can't tell me what to do. You know, I, they don't see them as their parents. They see them as their friends which gives them a level of authority to them over their parents in a way that they can do what they want and they can't tell them what to do because they've never told them what to do in their lives. I mean, I see that in some of my family members even where the parents always try to please their kids and then when they needed to actually be parents and when they needed to step up, the kids were like, you've never done this before. Like what? I mean, this, who am I? Who are you to, for me to listen to you? Because they never established that in the beginning. So I, I totally agree. Yeah, and you're okay with that? I mean, as, as you think about it, I mean, you're still living at home and, and that kind of thing. Well, yeah, absolutely I'm okay with it. I mean, okay. I, I mean, I know my parents are smarter than me, at least in some ways, I yeah. guess. Yeah, well, they <laughs> but, are. They've got more experiential so I, knowledge than you. I know that I, I, I'd be wise to listen to them. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, tonight I don't think we are going to have all the answers on how to parent in that. But I think if if there's one question that I could hear ringing through parents' heads right now, it's how do I parent a teen who is rebelling? And I think that's one of the most difficult questions because it, you know, rebellion takes different forms. You know, sometimes it's they refuse to take out the trash or they don't get up when you say to get up or they become intentionally lazy on certain things or they want to move at their own pace. And and I think it's one of those I don't know if there's a clean-cut answer for it. I mean, you said so much there, Dr. Tim, but one of the things that is really important, at least for me, one thing that I want to test when I become a parent of a teenager is, you know, I, I don't want to continue to tell them what to do and when to do it. I want to help to nurture them to become an adult. 
And instead of being so authoritarian on every single issue, sometimes as parents, you're going to have to pick your battles. And so figuring out what battles those are to pick, when you're going to pick them is important. But I think it's also to nurture them and to also give them the opportunity to fail. And that's probably one of the harder things to do as a parent is to watch your your son or your daughter fail in something in life because their choices they were making, even their heart of rebellion was leading them down this path. And as much as you were trying to tell them, you were trying to point out where they were really making some errors, they just weren't open to listening. And so sadly, you have to watch them go down this road of pain and and agony and anguish because their choices were leading them in this direction. So this is a big conversation. We're going to pick it back up in a few minutes here after this break here on HopeNet Radio. We're connecting parents with their teens in real conversations that save lives. HopeNet Radio on Q90FM. This is HopeNet Radio. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Hashtag HNR. Now, back to Jeff and Dave. Welcome back to HopeNet Radio. We're glad that you've joined us. And if you've missed any part of our show tonight, you can always catch it on the podcast. Visit HopeNet360.com. And all of our shows, our past shows, are under the Radio and Topics tab on our website. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Look for HopeNet Radio. And you'll find all of our past shows. You can listen back to it. We'll post this show later tonight. So, DW, Jeff, your host, Dr. Tim is back with us on the show. And Kyle is also back after his hiatus for a few weeks, just enjoying some time away and lots of good stuff going on up at Nicolay Bible Institute and Silver Birch Ranch. So, we're glad these guys are with us. And you can join the conversation tonight. Email us at hope at hopenet360.com. We'd love to hear from you tonight. And our topic tonight, our conversation is kind of wrapped around. Around, initially, it wrapped around this whole idea of rebellion. And personally, I've dealt with personal rebellion on a lot of different levels. Uh, rebellion in my own home growing up as a teenager, you kind of get to that stage and you're like, man, I think I have such a big head and I can do everything myself and I don't need my parents to tell me what to do anymore. And you just get to believing all these different lies. And so we're, we're just talking more about this and if it's really, if that's really the best way to live our new year. And interestingly enough, Dave, you know, living in rebellion often leads us down this trail to where we start believing so many different things. And I, and I think it's just that our foundation begins to be built on such a facade. But living in rebellion to me was interesting because I got, I felt like I had power. As soon as I started to not listen to what my parents were saying and started to do things my own way, it was like, man, now I have power. Now I have control. And like, I can make my own decisions and, you know, do what I want and no one can tell me what to do. And all of a sudden, like, it just kind of gets you to this point where you feel like, wow, I'm li- I'm really living in peace. Like, I'm not stressed because I'm kind of my own boss. And, you know, whatever my parents say, it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm, I'm going to live the way I want to live. And sadly, I see so many teens falling into that pattern even today. It's interesting that it kind of gives us this facade to live by. I don't know what... I, I want to ask you how, how it worked for you. I mean, did you find the peace and the stuff that you wanted out of that? Well, I got a lot of stuff that I wanted, <laughs> but and in, it in the you end... peace it, and satisfaction? Yeah, it, it gave me some initial satisfaction, that's for sure. I mean, it just it made me feel like I was powerful. Like, I had, I had choice in the matter. I had a say. And yeah, I, I got in trouble. I got grounded. I got, you know, privileges taken away from me. 
but I found ways to sneak out of them. You know, it was it's it's just funny how we're wired. And I know there are a lot of people who are listening that can totally relate to that. And I just read an article in the last segment on how this is just showing up in Western, more industrialized cultures than it is around the world. And I don't know exactly what that means, but it's just interesting and maybe a little bit significant that our culture here in Western world and in our American culture, that young people just feel like, oh, I'm just so powerful. I have so many different options. I don't have to believe what so-and-so tells me or what the Bible even tells me. I can just live the way I want to live. And, and Yeah, you know, I think we should come up with some answers here for people, though, because really, I mean, looking at rebellion, and we've talked about this in summary, I mean, it's either we rebel against things that we should rebel against because, it, you know, the Bible tells us here's how things are, and maybe we want to take a stand for the family, take a stand, so, so that's good. Or we rebel because we're just prideful or we just want it our way or we just want to, you know, we're narcissistic, wh- whatever that might be. But, but here's mm-hmm. what I think everybody's looking for. And we've said it so many times on the show. People want to be significant and they want to be secure. What they do is they say, well, I'm significant when I make my own choices and I take care of myself. And I, until they realize that they can't do it themselves, that's one of the things I've learned. You know, I, I used to be this, this physical specimen that felt that I could run through a wall if I needed to and just break it down. Now I'm lucky if I walk across the room and not limp. You know, I mean, it's, it's like for some reason God shows us in life that the sun doesn't rise and doesn't set because of Dave Wager or anybody else. And, and we begin to realize that we are part of a whole system and we are part of a whole family. And we either are going to cooperate the way we were made and live within the context of actually how we were made or we are going to be rebelling against that, and it won't work. I mean, we can ask Dr. Tim here, in medicine, when you rebel against the way things are, it's usually not a good outcome. In other words, if you tell somebody, boy, you, 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 know, you need to eat less, or you need to do this, or whatever, and they say, no, I, I'm going to be my own boss and control myself, does that turn out well for people? Uh, no. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's guardrails in life for a reason, uh, and that's, you know, we can... We can make certain choices and bounce off the guardrail, but sooner or later the guardrail gives way. I mean, yeah, in medicine, and and, and the parallel is good to just life in general. There are principles. Uh, the designer had a design in mind. You do this to your body, this is the outcome. And as a physician, I can only talk take a patient so far. I mean, I can't I can't restrict them from going and eating a Big Mac. Sorry to McDonald's fans. I can't force them to take their medicine to keep their blood pressure low. You you can't force people to do that. And sooner or later, you will bear the consequence of your rebellion or your bad choices. Now, fortunately, those of us who live spiritually and do seek to walk after God, many times God intervenes with graciousness and prevents the actual catastrophe that we should have. I mean, I've found that true in my life. The only reason I'm sitting here is because God is extremely gracious and he kept me from falling into the pits that I was headed toward. And and through good people, through his word, through whatever, you know, I was able not to succumb to my bad choices. And so it's a question of, okay, if if I'm going to be a rebel, if I want to do things my way, what do you want to be? I mean, you can be a rebel and not eat properly and weigh 5,000 pounds and then die. When it comes to life, okay, you want to do it your way, you know, and it's a question of who students listen to, you know, who yeah. is their authority. Yeah, you know, in talking about that, you know, Tim, I think what, what people really long for is the restorative 
nature of God. They really do. They, they want to be restored to each other. They want to have relationships that are significant. They want to have a relationship with God deep in their heart. We know that God made us that way. And, and in the Bible, there's this word shalom. And, and the word shalom really means peace. But it doesn't mean peace, uh, just surface peace. What it means is, is being um, one who lives in the context of the way things really were meant to be. And you as a doctor, I mean, you see that all the time. There's a way that the body is meant to operate. And when the body operates the way it's meant to operate, it's pretty cool. I mean, everything really works. The, the pain is minimum. The, I mean, that kind of stuff. But, but when things are not the way they should be, there's usually pain. There's usually suffering that's not necessary, that kind of thing. And, and what's interesting is emotionally it's that way too. Spiritually it's that way. God made us to be a certain way. And the worst rebellion I have ever seen that has the greatest consequences is to rebel against the way that God made us to be. And, and, and if we can in our lives get to the point where we can understand how God made us and we will accept the fact that God made us a certain way and he made us to love him and he made us to love each other and we start learning what that is and applying that to our lives, we begin to understand the significance and the security that he offers us. And that's really what that word shalom is all about. It's about a rest toward the peace that comes from being where you belong. And it, it assumes that you know that there's a place that you belong. Yeah, I agree. The, um, yeah, I know personally that through, through my life, the, the at times of stress and the t- times of discontent and the times of turmoil have always been times when I have rejected what God has wanted for me and and sort of made my own path or not so much that even not involving God in my day-to-day decisions and not living in an in a sphere of dependence on him and you know I you know I'm 56 years old I'm becoming my parent you know all of a sudden it's one of these phases in life that says yeah you know they were right follow after God make decisions that are are spiritual, that are godly decisions. Use the Bible as a roadmap and become dependent on God. And it's interesting because the Bible is full of paradoxes. For the high school students out there or any of our students that are listening, it's a paradox. You, You die to yourself to live. You serve to lead. And God does that to us, and, and he confuses—it it sounds confusing at the beginning, but I can tell you 50 years later— no, it's exactly the right way to live. And, and sitting here at 56, I am content. I'm peaceful. And I know when I'm not content and I'm not at peace, it's because I'm not doing what God has designed me to do. And the number one thing that he's designed me to do is walk with him and talk with him every day and involve him in the things that I, sh- you know, involve him in all my decisions. You know, interestingly enough, in this discussion on rebellion and all that, the Bible has something profound to say on this. Uh, if you look in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And this was, this was Samuel denouncing Saul. Saul had done some things that were against what God had commanded. And, you know, interestingly enough, rebellion doesn't start out as big things. It doesn't start out as going and robbing stores or it doesn't start out as, you know, a life of crime. It, it, it starts out as something really small. It starts out really little. And it's compromising one little thing in your life. And from that, it just begins to grow into this big plant. It's kind of like a weed. If you ever had weeds that grow up in your garden, weeds don't really grow from a big seed. They're from like a little 
little, little, little seed, and all of a sudden it's like you've got this thing, and if you don't take care of it, it grows into this bigger thing, this bigger problem, and uh, and soon you're like trying to you know get this trench digger or something to pull out all the roots and get rid of the whole entire thing because now it's it's totally infected. You know wherever it's growing, it can be in a pot, it can be in your garden. That's how rebellion grows. If that's been a hard thing for you to struggle with, or maybe you've been kind of kind of toying around with this whole thing, you know, starting to disobey, starting to to kind of make some choices that are kind of to get back at somebody or to get back in authority in your life. You need to check yourself because the dangerous part of living in a life of rebellion is that it will grow into this big, ugly thing. And pretty soon you're going to be in a life of misery and trouble, even though it starts out looking like, oh, you've got control. You're bringing yourself peace. You're bringing happiness to your life. It's going to be momentary and it's not going to last. And it's not a foundation you can build your life on. So we want to help you to build a life that is rooted in peace. And so that's going to be the topic of our conversation when we come back here on HopeNet Radio. Feel like nobody cares? We do. HopeNet360.com has an online crisis chat line powered by Groundwire. A live coach is available to talk right now at HopeNet360.com. It's HopeNet Radio. You can talk with a live spiritual coach anytime at HopeNet360.com. Now, here are the hosts of HopeNet Radio, Jeff and Dave. Welcome back to the second half of HopeNet Radio. We're glad that you've joined us. Jeff, DW, your host tonight. Connect with us on the show anytime at hope at hopenet360.com. That's hope at hopenet360.com. And also on our Facebook page. And tonight we've been talking about rebellion. We've been talking about how it starts and how it infects our life. There are a lot of teenagers out there that are wrestling with this whole concept of rebellion and living a life that's been rooted in rebellion. And so tonight we want to open that conversation up to you. If you're a parent, you're a teenager, you're a young adult, um, lots of questions around this tonight. How do you live a life that's not rooted in rebellion? Dave, I want you just to kind of share some of what you've been working on. The core of what we're trying to get to is we, we all desire to live a life of peace. And you talked about shalom peace. You've come up with some a pretty good list of a lot of things that people are wrestling with. So I'd love yeah. for you just to share a little bit about that. You know, what, one of the things I like doing is is trying to spend time trying to figure out why we have a problem instead of just going through and saying we have one. It's kind of like if somebody comes to me and they have a headache, they ask me for an aspirin. I, I, you will usually tell them, yeah, I'm sure you have a headache because your body lacks aspirin. There's a reason why you have a headache, and maybe we should find it out. I'm not against aspirin, necessarily. I'm, I'm just thinking maybe you should cure this some other way. So when we look at rebellion, that's more like satanic rebellion or just rebellion to rebel or, you know, I'm a 60s child, so, you know, I understand the word rebellion. Uh, we know where that came from in, in many respects. When we, we talk about rebellion, we want to look and say, okay, why do we do things that we know are harmful to us. I mean, somebody who's older that went before us said to stay away from this. And just because they say stay away from it, we want to go to it. It's kind of like the tree in the Garden of Eden. You know, I mean, God says, you know, you can eat of every tree in the whole world. I mean, the whole universe is yours, but not that one. And which one do they have to go to? They they go to the one that they got told not to. And it's so human of us to do that. One day I was researching just different things that would help people and trying to figure out causes. And I, and I found a list put together by some psychologists and, and really I've changed it quite a bit, but it's just, it's the spark for what I'm thinking about. And they came up with uh, many different, uh, what they call disorders that people have. And I kind of like looking at psychology and what they come up with. I really don't always like the answers uh, because unless they're uh, grounded in the Bible and Christ, I'm not sure the answers are something that always work. 
what I love to do is, is see how they observe things. I mean, it's real easy to look at something and say, here's the problem. It's different to look at something and say, here's the problem, but here's the solution. And wh- what I would like to do is, is kind of play a little bit with some of these disorders and talk about, yeah, it is a problem, but here's some solutions for it. And I'll ask uh, Kyle and uh, Tim to kind of uh, come in on this after I talk about it. But the very first disorder that I want to talk about is what they call personalizing. In other words, when you hear something, they make it all about me. Whatever someone says, whatever someone does, it's about me. It, we become so obsessed with me. For example, there was a time where my wife and I were uh, with a bunch of people, and they were talking about uh, a wedding that they were invited to, and we weren't invited. And on the way home, it was like, yeah, I think this person hates us. You know, what we found out later is, is they just lost it. It was there. They wanted us there, et cetera. But what we were doing is we were personalizing. We were making this, this is about us. We are people who are now miserable because somebody forgot. Somebody doesn't include me in a list of something. You know, they're, they're thanking people. I, I, by the way, when I'm in a public and I'm trying to thank people, like you're at a banquet, I'm trying to thank everyone who had a part of it. I hate that because I'm going to forget somebody. And what they do is personalize it. They say, you know what? Everybody else is recognized but me. And he doesn't think I did a good job. He doesn't understand how hard I worked. And, and you're sitting there going, wait a minute. This wasn't really about you. I, I tried to include everybody, and I just forgot. This is more about my bad memory than it is about you. It's very interesting how malcontented we get when we look at what other people have. In fact, the, the advertising industry counts on this. They spend over 300000 for a 30-second ad banking on the fact that they can make you personalize it. In other words, I don't have the joy that those guys have on television right now. It's about me not having joy. I need that to have joy, that kind of thing. So the, the very first disorder, I think, that we need to talk about is, is that. Let me read one verse, and I'll throw it over to you guys for comment. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, the 12th verse, it says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some others who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. In other words, there's a real uniqueness about each individual. God gives each of us different things, different talents, different abilities. He calls it a body. I'm a knee. I'm an ankle, whatever it might be. And, and, and when I'm a knee and I look and say, hey, God, how come I wasn't an elbow, man? The elbow gets to do a lot of cool things. I'm just as knee. Now we're dissatisfied with life, and, and it's all about me. It's all Somehow this narcissism keeps sprouting. Now, you guys ever suffer from personalizing stuff? Yeah, actually, I'm an alderman in the city of Rockford, and it's interesting because sometimes you'll articulate an opinion, and somebody will disagree with you, and you you get a little annoyed because they're not disagreeing with my argument or my stance or my belief. They're disagreeing with me. That's sometimes difficult to swallow, and you you have to work at it. Yeah, you see that in the Bible, though. I mean, when Stephen came and said something to the people, instead of realizing that he was talking about something, they personalized it. They made it about him, and they thought, if we kill him, if we just kill him, then the message is gone. Well, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. See, there's two ways. You're talking about personalizing it, you know, from me to you personally— and, and I'm even talking about me personalizing things, like the guy in the alderman chair, the other alderman chair. He might be saying, that Tim, man, he's making this about me, and this is a battle between me and him, and I'm going to win this one. It has nothing to do with the information, probably. Exactly. And I think that's a, that, that goes on in a lot of human discourse. 
we we yeah. make it we make it about us. Yeah. Well, I I mean, for me, my the best example that I can give, I think, is thinking about when I played lacrosse in college. When the coach would say, "Good job to another player," I would sometimes get upset. It's like, I well, what about me? You know, yeah. like, I the only reason he was able to do that was because I did this and this. Yeah. Like, where's my good job? Or where's my pat on the back? Come on. Like, a lot of the times that would happen on the field, like, where I, I feel like I did something good enough, it wasn't recognized, but somebody else did something, and they got recognized. So I'd be like, well, what the heck? And it's not even about me. It's about getting the win, yeah. and I should be happy about that. You know, I've, I found myself a lot of times on the field like that. Yeah, so you were even in the middle of a victory, playing a game you loved, and you were miserable. I, because yeah, you're making I, it about you. It's, yeah, exactly. And, and it wasn't it about you. Yeah. It, it, you know, in Galatians 1.10, it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. See, what God says is very simple. There's no fairness gene necessarily. I'm six foot two. I have blonde hair, etc. Somebody might look at me, how come I don't get to be six foot two? I, fine, whatever. It's not like God said, I'm going to make everybody the same. He made us all different. The thing that's the same is his love for us. The thing that's the same is, as we obey him, how he will use us significantly in life. Did you ever hear this? You grew up in a pretty stable home, a good home, Kyle. Yeah. Did you ever hear one say, well, if I had parents like yours, man, I'd be okay too, but... <laughs> yeah, t- totally. Yeah. You see, I mean, and, and what they're doing... if I had your dad... Yeah, if I had your opportunities, if somebody to help me. I can remember uh, guys coming into my room in college, and, and my dad actually helped me pay my college bill, and, and they were mad at me because their dads weren't helping them pay their college bill. How hard would it have been to be excited for me that my dad was helping me? I mean, how hard was that? But they wouldn't do it. It was like, no, I'm mad at you because this is all about me that your dad's paying you, paying your college bill, but he's not helping me. And they were the miserable ones when they left. I was in the middle of a pillow fight when this was going on, actually. (laughs) And when they left, we just picked up our pillow fight and kept fighting and enjoyed it. But it was them who were miserable, not not me, because you personalize it. I mean, it's it's amazing how we do personalize a lot of things. And so often we end up personalizing things that weren't even meant to be personalized in the first place. The things that people say to us sometimes become, you know, kind of who we are. And we oftentimes feed on the people we hang around and and begin to take on kind of their own personalities. And it kind of we talked about the whole independent thinking. And sometimes we just get in this whole routine. I think it's really easy to fall into this kind of groupthink pattern where we start to believe things just based on what other people believe and don't even know why we believe it. And none other, I mean, there's no exception to this when it comes to the church too. Oftentimes, and maybe we can talk about this more in the next segment, but finding peace and finding a way to think for yourself and not be so uh, so focused on what other people believe, even in Christianity, how to make your faith your own and uh, to begin to, to kind of take up the reins of your own faith. So maybe we can pick up this conversation. You guys think that's a, a good place to go in our next yep, part of it? we'll do it. Let's do that. So we're going to take a break here on HopeNet Radio. We're going to some music. Get in on this conversation. Email us at hope at hopenet360.com with your thoughts. Connect on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be right back here on HopeNet Radio. If you're going through something tonight, a live coach is waiting to talk to you at HopeNet360.com. This is HopeNet Radio. Feel free to email the show, hope at HopeNet360.com. Now, back to Jeff and Dave. Record. Welcome back to HopeNet Radio. Jeff and DW here with you tonight on the show. We're glad that you've tuned in. And remember, if you've missed any part of the show, we do podcast it so you can ca- you can catch it 
on HopeNet360.com, right at the very bottom of our page. You can also go on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast there. It's just as easy. Maybe one works better for you. So check that out. Subscribe. Get involved. Email us anytime on the show or during the week at Hope at HopeNet360.com. Dave and I do respond to each and every email that you send in. We'd love to hear your story, too, especially tonight as we've been talking about rebellion and what your experience has been, maybe how you've coached your son or your daughter through a time when they were going through a very difficult time and were living a life of rebellion, maybe still are. Maybe if you have questions about it, if you've been trying to find out some good resources or just good perspectives on how to parent someone or if you're a teenager and you're struggling with it, uh, that's something that we want to help you to get through. So email us, hope at hopenet360.com. Connect on Facebook or on Twitter at hopenet360. We'd love to hear from you tonight. So Dave, we got a couple of comments in on our Facebook page actually about rebellion and I'd asked earlier about uh, what causes us to rebel, how do you parent a teen who's rebelling, and we got a message from Krista saying that serving in ministry was a huge help in keeping her from rebelling. Kids that were looking up to her and wanted her to be a a good example were key in helping her to be someone who didn't rebel or just go off and do something that she would later regret uh, as far as people looking up to her. So another one, uh, Jason commented in and said to, in, in how you parent a teen who is rebelling, he said to pray for them daily, continue to overwhelm them with love as reflected by Christ who continually pursues us as we live in rebellion every day, offer much grace, forgiveness, and be slow to anger. And I think that's really good advice. Ariel commented in, um, she is a student kind of going through some psychology studies. She commented and said, what causes a lot of teens I work on psych with uh, to rebel is usually structure or expecting to do something they don't like. I don't have kids, but working with this group a lot has taught me that setting limits is most effective. So setting limits is, is definitely a good boundary there. Basically teaching them that they do not make the decisions all the time. Yes, they get freedom once they are ready to earn it. So uh, good input. That's at HopeNet360 on Facebook. Connect with us there. So Dave, great conversation before. I'd love for you just to continue on with where you've been and and uh, just how we continue to, to bring about a true life of peace, uh, which we've been talking about is not through a lifestyle that's rooted in rebellion. So you, you know, it's interesting, Jeff, as you talk about that, we talked about uh, something the way it should be. And Dr. Tim here, we're talking about there's a way we are physically, there's a way we are emotionally, there's a certain way that we are meant to be. And I am convinced that if somebody would spend some time trying to understand the way it should be, the way God meant it to be, they would not want to rebel because God is older than us and smarter than us and loves us. And he wants us to be <laughs> successful and, and we can trust him. And, and so part of the problem, part of the thing about rebellion is thinking that I can do it better on my own. Uh, there's a quote I, I read from a guy named Dr. Don Kistler. And he said this, it seems that the original sin of Satan was the same as the original sin of Eve and Adam, that of discontent. Satan was not content what God had given him and wanted in the end to be equal with God. Even Adam were not content with paradise. They wanted to be on the same levels as God, knowing good and evil. Pride is there, yes, in a sense that we think we deserve more than God wants to give us. 
But discontent seems to be behind the pride. What happens in a culture like ours is we are saturated with the pretend. We are saturated with media that keeps telling us that we're missing out, that we cannot be content with where we're at, what we have, who we're married to, etc. Where the Bible says the opposite. Paul says, you know, no matter what situation I'm in, and I forget what passage that is, but well, it's it's it's. I actually have it pulled up. It's uh, well, read the verse. It's Philippians chapter four, verse ten. It starts in verse ten. It says, uh, "I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in every circumstance." I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, man, that, that is so cool. See, right there, learning and understanding that, that God loves you and being submissive to him and that whatever happens, there's a great plan for it. You learn to be content uh, in any situation. Those today that are really feeling like they're being left out, here's my, my opinion to them. They, they need to get to know God. Because I think you're dissatisfied with life and you want to rebel because you don't know who he is. And if you would spend time getting to know who he is by being in the Bible, talking to those who know him, I believe that you would not want to rebel against him. Well, that's the thing, too. In my Bible, actually, under that verse, I have a little note written. And the note that I wrote was, this is the key to abundant life. And it really is. Understanding how to be content in every situation is the key to living a life that is that will bring the most joy. Because when you're... Um, upset about everything that happens, when you're down about everything that happens and you're um, getting angry about those things, you're never going to be happy. Finding content in everything is the key to living an abundant life. So if I'm Satan, what I'm working on is trying to rip contentment away from you. Absolutely. So so I'm doing that through media. I'm doing that through other people. And that's what we've been talking about. We personalize everything. Somebody got a brand new car. I didn't get a brand new car. I'm bummed. And that's what what we've talked about on the show before is the idea that we're missing out on something. Well, what's the comparison? I mean, you know, you watch TV and everybody's always telling you, even our culture tells you to be discontented. I'm always amazed at the number of TV commercials that tell me my teeth are too yellow. I mean, it's stupid. Have they I mean, seen you? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so over and over again, you, you're, you're, your teeth are too yellow. You got to buy all this stuff. Our culture tells us you need to be discontented. God tells us, mm. no, you, you should be contented. There's a verse in Lamentations that says, basically... We should be destroyed every morning. It's by God's grace that we wake up every morning, and his, and his faithfulness endures. And so starting with that point, every morning I should wake up and think, you know what? Because of what I've done and who I am, I should be destroyed. Everything after that has got to be amazing because, because God gives it to us. And so the, the problem we face is we look at God, and God puts us in certain situations. He makes us a certain body type, gives us a certain appearance, a certain talent, and we look at him and say, no, God, you know what? I know I should have been destroyed because of who I am, and I'm only alive because of your graciousness. But, you know, let's get this straight. I'm not tall enough. My hair's not dark enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this. And you you got to fix it. And that level of discontent, we then bring that to God, and that's the worst rebellion. Because now we're rebelling against the things that God has given us out of his grace. Instead of embracing them and developing those things, we look at him and say, forget it. And, and perhaps that is the element of our old nature. That is what Satan has yeah. done. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Let's say I'm a 400-pound 
woman that comes, I know I don't sound like one, but, I, and I come in and I, I want to be treated. And you say, I got to lose weight. And I go, look, I'm content with where I'm at. And I'm content with the way God made me. What do you tell her? Well, it's, that's not the, in the intent of the way God made her. That's, right. Well, that's what I wanted to know, because yeah, I think we can use that for an excuse, saying I'm right. just content with my sin. I'm content. Look, right. you know, God made me this way, and, and I want to hear your advice to somebody who might tell you that. It's the parable of the lost son. You know, that father probably had the wherewithal to go search for that son. Right. And he could have found him, and he could have brought him back home and said, okay, sleep here. I'm going to give you some food. Instead, he let that son succumb to his bad choices. So there's choice, there's there's elements of lot in life that we inherit because we make bad choices. And can God work through those bad choices? Yeah, he can. But then to look at someone and say, well, you know, God made me that way. No, then that's blaming God for your bad choice. Right. You can't do that. You guys talked about being content. And, you know, I think there, I think there are a lot of things that disrupt our contentment and oftentimes are things that we can't control. But one of the core things that's going to help you to live contently, to live at peace in this new year and to be confident and to not live a life of rebellion is how quick and how willing you are to forgive. You know, I think that's such a, a key component to living a life that honors and glorifies God is how willingly we forgive. And if you know anything about the gospel, if you know anything about what Jesus did and what he taught and how he lived, he talked a lot about how we are to treat other people in the faith or not in the faith, to have grace and to have mercy on people. He interacted with people who a lot of the Pharisees didn't want to interact with because of one reason or another, because they took their religious thoughts, their religious beliefs, and they said, nope, we're not going to associate with these kinds of people. Uh, we can't really even tolerate them. They're just going to be outcasts in our society. We're better than them. And uh, there's a lot of different issues that that brings up. But one of the quickest ways to live the abundant life— Significant. Yeah, to be significant is— is really to live a life that is willing to forgive quickly and easily, regardless of if the person or persons who have hurt you deserve it. And uh, so I want to pick up this conversation. We're going to wrap up our conversation in our next segment. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked in here on HopeNet Radio. Love HopeNet Radio? Stay in contact all week long at HopeNet360.com. This is HopeNet Radio. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Hashtag HNR. Now, back to Jeff and Dave. Welcome back to HopeNet Radio. We're wrapping up our conversation tonight, but not too fast. We still have time for you to email us your thoughts to hope at HopeNet360.com or connect on Facebook and Twitter tonight. We'd love to hear from you. Catch the podcast later at HopeNet360.com or on iTunes. Just search for HopeNet Radio on your podcast app. You'll find us. It's easy to subscribe and listen to later. And if you really wanted to, I found that you can listen in double speed. So you can make this one-hour podcast into a half hour if you really wanted to. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Can you listen in four times speed? I think you can just go up to 2x. So okay. I, I haven't tried the 4x. Yeah, I don't think mm-hmm. I would really get anything out of 4x. But maybe you're just a fast speaker, and I feel like I, I speak really fast. But maybe you're just a fast listener, and you can do that sort of thing. So however you do it, make sure you <laughs> listen to the podcast. Share it with your friends. We would love for you to do that and connect with us tonight. I think this is a hot-button issue because so many of us really do struggle with are we living for ourselves? You know, in 2014, is 2014 going to be all about you? And yes, we've made resolutions. Yes, we've said, hey, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to see things differently this next year. I'm not going to be the same 
same person I was in 2013. I'm not going to have the same maybe career or the same job or the same car, or the same house, or I don't know what you want to change to make your life better. But hopefully tonight on the show, we've sparked some interest and given you some perspective on how to really make change in your life, not just to search for an artificial solution, which is what rebellion often does. A lifestyle of rebellion just leads us into so many different problems in our life that start out looking like things are going for you. And uh, pretty soon, not long after you start doing that, uh, you're going to see things kind of start to take a dip. And so we want to help you avoid some of those pitfalls. And Dave, you've been we've been talking about contentment. We've been talking about a lot of different things on the show. Just share some of your thoughts tonight as we're wrapping up the show. Well, you know, uh, there was an email in, I, th- I believe, from someone named Krista who said serving in a ministry had helped her learn to be content. And that's an interesting statement. And I really believe that's true. There are places in this world where you can go and you can serve other people and start to understand and think outside of yourself and actually think about helping them. One of the leadership principles I teach, the very first principle in leadership for me is that you actually learn that the power that you have, the authority that you have is not given to you for you. It's given to you to give away to others. And, and we need to be able to understand that, that we live in a world where God said we were made to love, like Toby Mac's song is all about. And we are to do that by looking at how we can make others the best they can be. When people come to camp during the summer and work, it's amazing how about midway through the summer, they'll come and talk to me and say, you know what, my life's different here. I'm not into what I used to. I'm starting to have success in certain areas that I used to struggle with. And I, and I usually ask them, just stop for a minute and tell me why you think that is. Well, we're in the Bible several times a day. We don't have the media influence. We don't have the, and all of a sudden, we're starting to get our heads on straight because we're actually starting to think straight and, and understand how we were made so we can live within that peace. In, in Galatians 6.10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who have the household of faith. Or First Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he is denied the faith, he's worse than an unbeliever. In other words, you know, part of what we do is look out for the good of those around us. And we start with our own family and our own church, and we start looking out for their good, not for our good, but for their good. And there's a lot of false ministries out there where, where people are not doing that, where, where really they're, they're really wolves in sheep's clothing, you might say. Because they're, they're not doing the Lord's work for the good of the people. They're doing the Lord's work for the good of themselves. And, and that's extremely evil. So I think that uh, step number one for answers is really to understand how God made us again and go back to how we were made to be looking out for others instead of ourselves. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. That, um, in the book of Ruth, uh, there's a story about Ruth and Naomi. And what's interesting is, Ruth didn't realize how poor she was because she was consumed with taking care of her mother-in-law. Her life was about service to her mother-in-law. And then God goes on to bless her. It's interesting. There's a a, a quote in Milton when he wrote Paradise Lost. And somebody confronted Beelzebub and basically said, you know, why don't you give up? Why why don't you just give up and give in to God and end it all? And, And Satan's response is very telling. He said, because I'd rather be a ruler in hell than a servant in heaven. To Dave's point, so much of what God teaches us is that life is a paradox. And God does this to confuse the wise. He does this intentionally to draw a dichotomy between what the world and what our culture teaches us and what God teaches us. It's a clear choice. You die to self to live. You serve to lead. I had the opportunity to be in a master's level class, and one of the things we were talking about was leadership. 
and we had to sit as a in a room and 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 these were some shishi type people one of them was a director of the canadian health service at the time and some other people at high levels at universities we went around the room and said what is the qualifications to be a leader i wrote one just one i wrote servanthood i was the only guy in the room that wrote that it was very interesting because we got in a very heated sort of discussion on what it takes to be contented and what it takes to be in a sense if you want to call it significant within your organization and it's servanthood and god does that for a reason. I agree. The, the first way to get contented with your life is get involved in somebody else's life. Yeah, and for their sake, not for your own. Right. Exactly. You're a servant. I feel like life uh, in life, there's a lot of suffering. And I feel like it's easy to drown in that suffering. And it's easy to blame God for that suffering. And I think that that's the wrong way to approach things. And if you approach things like that, your life is going to be hard. It's going to be very miserable. Um, it's not going to be easy and it's never going to get better. And their hope really is in God. And when we put our hope in God and when we decide to be content about things that go wrong in our life, some suffering, you will be content. It's, it's a mindset and it's, a, it's an understanding. Yeah. Yeah, and Kyle said decide to be content. That's interesting. I can hear people all over saying, oh, yeah, that's, how do you decide to be content? Uh, you, you know, I think here's how you do it. You get to know God. Honestly, if you don't know him, you're not going to trust him. If you don't spend time with him, you're not going to be able to say, okay, whatever, God, this is going to work. And, yeah. and those that are listening that are really struggling with the idea of trusting him, they need to get to know him. And that's what I ask you to do. And, and we have uh, live coaches that are available to you at HopeNet360.com. And we, we invite you to go talk to them. We really want people to understand there's a way to be significant and secure in this life. There's a way to live where you can enjoy every day. There is a way to live and understand your significance and security, but it starts with getting to know God and the way things were so you could live at shalom peace with the world and with God. For those who are really struggling with rebellion, I'm glad that for a minute I have your ear because I'm not going to be the one that's going to tell you how to change, what to change, how to do what you're doing differently. The only thing that I can say is that when you decide to step out of that life of rebellion and you step into the light, into God's word, you step into a relationship with God, you stop trying to sort things out yourself and fix things yourself, you find that you realize that you've been a prisoner for however long you've been walking in that lifestyle and that now you've found a true freedom. And so tonight, that is what our offer really is. It's not to tell you, you've got to change, you've got to change, you've got to do this differently, you've got to listen to your parents, you've got to do all this stuff. It's, it's no, it's saying, you don't realize how much of a prisoner, I didn't realize how much of a prisoner I was to that life of rebellion, of that life of sin, of trying to, trying to figure things out myself and do things myself and build relationships around what made me happy at the time. It's, it's realizing that, man, I was such a prisoner to that. I was living a life so filled with bondage that I now know what freedom really is. And freedom really comes when you stop living, just like what Dave said, stop living the way you weren't created to live. You stop living a way that doesn't please God. You start living, start doing things the way that God intended. That's where you find the true freedom. Dr. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I would love for you to just give some closing thoughts as we wrap up tonight. Well, I, the closing thought that I, you know, I would encourage students and people is just don't believe the lie. There's a lot out there. Uh, Satan doesn't come at people and say, go rob a bank, as we said earlier. Satan comes mm -hmm. at you very subtly and says, you need that. You need that bigger car. You need that better job. You want his job. You deserve his job. 
You deserve that house. And these are subtle things to make you become self-sufficient, which you are not. You're dependent on God. And mm-hmm. they, t- they distract you. And they, and they distract you from realizing that there are two economies. There's a temporal economy, which is a lie. And there's an eternal economy, which is truth. Thank you so much, Dr. Tim, for being a part of our show today. And, Kyle, it was so good having you back on the show. Really love your input and your thoughts. And if you've missed this show, remember you can catch on the podcast. Visit HopeNet360.com. You'll find a link there for iTunes at the very bottom of our page if you want to subscribe there. So for all of us here on HopeNet Radio, Dave, Jeff, Dr. Tim, and Kyle, thanks so much for joining us tonight here on HopeNet Radio. We'll see you guys online and next week. See you guys.